Hallelujah. Well, we're going to go ahead and get started this week um, into a study in the book of 1 Corinthians. So uh, this is 1 Corinthians part 1, as the uh, title so cleverly puts. And uh, this isn't going to be chapter, it's not going to be, it's going to be like the last ones we've done. It won't be one part per chapter. It'll probably be multiple parts per chapter. This might take us a while because there's like 19 chapters or something in 1 Corinthians. So this could be a long, a long ride, but I think you're going to get a lot out of it. One, it's a, uh, the, the, this is one I've waited a really long time to do because truthfully, the, the 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, they got some tough stuff in there that we have to deal with, some tough stuff that we're going to have to unpack and go through. But I think that uh, uh, as Christians, we can't skip the hard parts. We can't dodge the, the stuff that, that's hard for us to understand or we don't want to deal with. We need to go ahead and, and read what God has to say about all of it. Amen. So just a little bit of background as we get ready to, to dive into 1 Corinthians, Paul's letter to the Corinthian church. is One, he wrote this, uh, Paul wrote this during his third missionary journey while he was in Ephesus. He got a, a, a letter from one of the families saying that there's a, there's a kind of a mess going on since you left. This is probably about seven years after he had planted the church. So he, he went to, in his second missionary journey, Paul goes to, to uh, Corinth and he plants a church there. And uh, everything's going good. It seems like he's there for about a year and a half, ministering with them and teaching them. And, and then he leaves and, and, uh, to go plant other churches, because that was what his mission was, was to plant churches. And he heads out, and seven years later, while he's out on another missionary journey in, in, in Ephesus, he gets a letter saying, things are a mess. We could really use some input right now. And what's happening here is, is the city of Corinth was actually the heart of an important trade route in the ancient world. It was a, it was a big bustling hub of trade. And, and it was, I mean, the, the athletic games at Corinth were second only to the Olympic Games in Greece. So, I mean, this was a big deal. This is a big city. There's a lot of stuff going through there. Their outdoor theater accommodated 20,000 people. And then the roof portion of it sat 3,000. I mean, today we think about that, and we're like, well, that's not big of a deal. We've got football stadiums, so we to do that. But they built this stuff out of rock. And, I mean, this was a big coliseum, a big theater, 20,000 people just for the theater. And it was, it was huge. This is a big city, a lot of stuff going on. There's temples and shrines, and there's altars dotting the city. There's a 1,000 sacred prostitutes that made themselves available at the temple of the Greek goddess Aphrodite. The south side of the marketplace was lined with taverns equipped with underground systems for cooling drinks. And the city of Corinth had a reputation for sexual immorality, religious diversity, and corruption. That was its reputation. That was what, it, I mean, this was a lot like a lot of the big cities in our country today, where anything goes. It's kind of the attitude that is coming over our country now is, you know, whatever you want to do is fine by everybody. As long as it's not hurting anybody. When people say that, they just mean as long as it's not hurting me. They don't care if it's hurting somebody else. But this place, it was noted for its lax morals, its scandalous lifestyles. And it was a completely pagan society. And if you think about it, this kind of society is creating quite a few difficulties for the believers that are living there. Much like the society that we live in today creates quite a few difficulties for us Christians that are living in it today. We see all of this stuff going on. I mean, we can't even, uh, we can't shield our eyes from all the stuff that's going on without any perfectness. I mean, just the billboards on the, on the, stuck down the street, you see stuff that you don't want to see, and we're constantly bombarded with all kinds of nonsense. And it wasn't any different for the, for the Corinthian church back then. They were constantly bombarded by these different things. 
And like I said, Paul planted a church there, and he remained there as a pastor for about a year and a half, and you can read about that in the book of Acts in chapter 18. Chapter 18. 18. <laughs> and if you think about it, for the people in the Corinthian church, they, were, they weren't any different than us. Sometimes I think when we read uh, the, the Old Testament or we read the Bible, we somehow think that these people are different than us. They, they had it easier because Paul was around. They had it easier, I mean, you, they, because they lived in a time when Jesus was there. They, they had, they had, we think that their lives were somehow different or, or easier. It would have been easier for them to believe, but it, really they faced the same difficulties that we did. And just like us, when they got saved, at least for many of us, their lives didn't automatically get completely turned around. I know in my life when I got saved, it took me a long amount of years before I, I wasn't just a Christian in name. I didn't just tell people I was and I lived however I wanted. It took a long time for my life to really get turned around. It took a long time for me to grab hold of the reality that something inside of me was different than I had been changed. It took a long time for me to realize that, you know what, I am forgiven. I am free. I am righteous. And then once I figured that, it still took even more time for my body to catch up the reality that had happened inside of me. And these people were just like that. They, 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 were, they were completely heathen. They were pagan. They were doing all kinds of crazy stuff. Paul came in. They got saved. And we're going to see with what happens. There is some, some radical changes that happens in their lives, but they still struggled with a lot. They struggled with the society around them, with the expectations around them. And, and they began to, the, the world began to creep back into the church. Everywhere they turned, there was sin and lawlessness and corruption and immorality. And it reminds me of, of what we actually, the, the, the beautiful thing about the Bible is it's, it's applicable to us today. We read what's going on and what they're going through is not unique. What they're going through is, is not something they went through and we never had. It's the same stuff that we're dealing with today. And like I said, sometime after Paul left, he, he received words that are, things are kind of falling apart. And the first letter to the Corinthians, one we're going to start into now, is basically addressing all the stuff that's been brought to Paul's attention. And the first letter to the Corinthians basically says that, you know what, we got factions or cliques in the church. Anybody ever dealt with that in a church? So basically, we got factions or cliques in the church. We need to, to deal with that. He has to really uh, deal with the spiritual gifts in the book of 1 Corinthians because things got a little out of hand in the Corinthian church. He starts dealing with some issues about marriage, food offered to idols, Christian liberty, the resurrection. He's dealing with all these things. And all along, this whole time, he's dealing with a little bit the fact that people that have came in after him are questioning his right to be an apostle. They're questioning his authority. But this letter is basically Paul's pastoral response to the church that he planted. And like any good pastor, he's firm, yet he's completely loving with these people. He displays his unwavering belief that they are more than what they are doing. Just because they're messing up, Paul doesn't give up on them. He says, no, there is more. I'm convinced there is more to you than what you are letting out right now. And some of the things that always help me through stuff when times are going stuff and things are happening as, as I read this. And you never see Paul say that, that, you know what, you guys aren't even saved anymore. He doesn't disown the church. He doesn't push them away. Instead, he reiterates what he had already taught them. And he goes over the basics again. He reminds them, hey, when you got saved, something inside of you changed. You're not who you used to be. And this way that you're acting is out of character with who you are. 
He doesn't tell him, you must not be a Christian anymore. He says, you're a Christian. Quit acting like you're not. And he goes in and begins to teach them once again all the glorious details of God's saving love for each and every one of them and how they should actually express that love towards one another. Amen? So let's go ahead and get started with the first verse. 1 Corinthians 1.1 says, Paul called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes. Or Sosthenes. You may know how to pronounce that? Sosthenes. We'll go with that. So this is how Paul begins his letter. It's how he begins many of his letters. It's kind of the traditional greeting of the time. And uh, it's basically just like any greeting in, in any letter that you see today. He begins to tell them who he is. He says, Paul called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes. And he's, did I say it wrong again? Sosthenes. See, when I'm reading this in my head, I don't have to pronounce it, so I don't even think about it. And then when I read it out loud, I realize how bad it sounds. Sosthenes. Call him Soso. Brother Soso. <laughs> so, Paul, being, so he starts to say, let, let, me, let me remind you guys who I am. This is Paul, and he lets them know his credentials. I'm, I'm an apostle. Not just some guy who says he's an apostle, but I was called by the will of God to be an apostle. Because what's probably happening is, is, and you see it a little bit in uh, uh, chapter 9, of the book of 1 Corinthians is that his, his apostleship is being challenged a little bit. People have come in after him. He's been gone for seven years. And in chapter 9, he begins to hint that, that maybe people are challenging his authority. And then if chapter 9 is not enough, really in, in the book of 2 Corinthians, there's an entire chapter dedicated to him defending his apostleship because people are coming in and, and claiming things about him, apparently claiming that he's not who he says he was. He doesn't have the authority that he says he did. But the truth is, is that Paul says, you know what? I was called by the will of God to be an apostle. I wasn't called by man. It wasn't, there wasn't a, a bunch of people that voted and got together and said, hey, let's make him an apostle. He was, you know, voted most likely to succeed in high school. He was on the, the track team. He was a quarterback. Let's make him an apostle. That didn't happen. It wasn't like he's like, man, look at these apostles' lives. They, they're living large. They got it good. Maybe I want to be an apostle. It wasn't like he decided he wanted to be an apostle. By the will of God, he was, you guys remember, he had, a, he had a moment on the road to Damascus where God, Jesus steps out. And can you imagine if Jesus steps out and speaks to you, essentially in, a, in an audible voice? I would say you could see Jesus, but he couldn't. He was blinded by the light. But he comes out and says, Paul, Paul, why are you persecuting me? Why are you kicking against the goats? In Acts 9.15 it says, But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. So Paul wasn't an apostle because he thought it was a good idea, but God specifically called him out to be God's chosen instrument to minister to the Gentiles. And the, the apostles' mission was basically to be uh, an, an envoy for God. They were God's representative in, in the world at this time. And they were, they were delegates directly under the authority of Jesus Christ. And they had the authority to go out, plant churches. They had to, the authority to set up others, to raise others up, to supervise those churches that they planted. And they also had the, the, the authority to discipline those who were in the church, which is basically what this letter is about, is Paul trying to rein in what's getting a little bit crazy over there. And he also mentioned Sosthenes, it only took me eight times to get it right, who was likely the one who wrote, he says, and our brother Sosthenes is likely the one who wrote the letter. 
I've always found it interesting, Paul didn't write most of his letters, and I don't know if it was because he was just used to having a secretary, but there's actually one where he's writing for prison, he says, look, these are, these are letters from my own hand, see how big they were, I just don't think he could write very good. And actually, the scholars will tell you that if you read some of the stuff that he wrote himself, his Greek was awful, he had terrible grammar. I mean, he was just, that's why he let other people write for him. So Sosthenes is probably a scribe for him, and he's writing for him. And actually, this is probably... Uh, the Jewish official that was in Acts chapter eighteen seventeen that was actually brought a case against Paul, and he was a ruler of the synagogue, and then he got, when he, we caused that, that riot or whatever going on there, he was actually punished. He was actually beaten. But later he became a believer. And then Paul, not only is he using uh, him as his scribe, is he working with him, but this is probably, Sosthenes was probably a name known to the Corinthian church as well. So as he's writing this letter, that was one more name that could kind of ease in what he's about to say. So Paul includes his name with him as he gets going. And in 1 Corinthians 1, 2 through 3, it says, To the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know that all churches have two addresses? All real churches have two addresses. Their first address is their physical location. This church here is to the, to the church in Corinth. Our church here is 9190 North Coachline Boulevard Suite 130, I think is the one I use. We have two suites, but that, that's our physical address is here in Marana. But every church, every life-giving church has a second address, and that's its, that's its address in the Lord. That's what he says here, to the church of God that is in Corinth. And that's actually the primary address. He begins to point out that this isn't just some collection of people. This isn't just, we're not, this isn't a hobby. This isn't a country club. This is, this is the church of God. And we have to understand that that carries some weight as well, that there's, there's something more than us being a gathering of people. We're here for a reason, to serve God. And it's His church, His body. And I'm always encouraged when I see stuff like this. Because, and you're going to hear me say stuff like this a lot this morning, because I, I, I look at what's going on here, and he says that this church in Corinth is the church, is a church of God. It's His church. Now, if you know what we're getting into as we read this, this letter. If you've read through the book of 1 Corinthians before, you're going to see that, that stuff is a mess over there. They're doing some crazy stuff. Most people would be like, that's not even a church anymore with some of the stuff that's going on in there. And I began to see that even though this place was a mess, even though the church is falling apart as it were, even though that all this crazy stuff is going on, Paul still refers to it as a church of God. It reminds me and it encourages me that even if we make a mistake here at Living Hope Family Church, we're not immediately kicked out of the kingdom. Now, I'll be honest, my goal is to not make any mistakes. My goal is to serve God with, and this church and this body will serve God with our whole hearts, giving all that we have. But if we mess up, if we make a mistake, and the truth is I've made mistakes before, and unfortunately I'll probably make some more. I'm going to try not to, but I, I probably will, and as a church, we will. But that doesn't disclude us from what God has given us. If we would just, just like anything, as a church or individually, if we get back up and put our eyes right back on Jesus, we're right back on track. Even though these people weren't acting sanctified, even though they were acting like sinners, he says, you know what, no, you're still, 
the church of God. He says, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus. Now that's even stranger. Not only is it still the church of God, but these people definitely aren't acting sanctified. And if you've read this chat, you know what's going on. One guy takes his, his father's wife. We got there arguing and they're, they're bickering. They're causing each other to stumble. They're acting, they're, they're exercising their spiritual gifts in, an order, in a way of chaos, which is actually driving people away. It's making people think that they're drunk. I mean, this, this place is a mess. They're definitely not acting sanctified. They're coming together for communion and getting drunk. They're not acting sanctified, but he says, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus. And you're like, well, wait a minute. That doesn't make any sense. But it's because their sanctification doesn't have anything to do with their actions. It doesn't have anything to do with, with what they're doing. And the same is true for you and I. Thank God for that, because if our sanctification was based on how we lived our lives, we'd all be in a mess. But the truth is that they were sanctified because Jesus Christ went to the cross for them. And they received Him as their Lord and Savior. Now sometimes we still act like idiots even after we're saved. Because we forget. We take our eyes off Jesus. We forget. Or maybe we haven't spent enough time in the Word or in church or, or learning that we even understand that we're free from all this stuff. But he says to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus. And then he says that they are called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. So this is a test I always do every time I read. So how many in this room are saints? All right, I'm going to ask another question. How many in this room are saved? Raise your hand. If you're saved, raise your hand. If your hand is raised, you're a saint. It's, it's not a... There's no test that you have to pass to become a saint. There's no, there's no voting that has to be done for you to become a saint. You don't have to have three miracles while you're alive and even one more after you're dead to become a saint. The Scripture says that if you're sanctified in Christ, you're called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus. That's the requirement to be a saint, is to call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Being a saint is not a title, it's an identity. It's who you are in Christ. And you guys have all heard me say that many a times, and I like doing that test because, especially when people have never seen me do it before, because nobody wants to raise their hand and say they're a saint because they think they're stepping over a line. But the fact is that if you're saved, you're a saint. It's an identity. It's who you are as a Christian. And this one it makes it clear as it is, is all get out. It says, with all those who in every place call upon the name of the Lord. If you ever want to, to argue about with somebody, if someone says, no, you're not a saint, just take them to the Scripture. It says, I am a saint, along with all those who in every place call upon the Lord. And then he goes on to say that we begin to, to see about this church. This is, the city of Corinth is a, so much, it just reminds me so much of what we have going on in the United States because it's just this giant melting pot of, of diversity of wealth and religions and moral standards. And like I said, it has a reputation for being uh, fiercely independent and decadent as, as, as any city in the world. I mean, this place has a reputation behind it. And yet out of this moral wasteland, God forms a church through Paul's ministry. And Paul recognized these believers. 
as those who were, who were called to be holy. They're called to be saints. They were called to be holy. These, these people were still called by God. And the term being called just simply is another word for saying designated. These people were designated to be God's own holy people, to be his saints, to be, to be his people. And God identified them to, to serve him and not to serve their own purposes. Because they were holy or set apart. They were set apart to serve him. I was reading a story about a Christian photographer. He said that there was a lovely couple that he was uh, covering as a wedding photographer. And he said the service was amazing, it was beautiful, and everything was great. And right after they had said their vows, and right after they had gotten married and they, you know, they kissed, they were walking out. As soon as they walked out the door, the bride looks up and she sees another guy in a car across the street. And she runs away from her husband and she jumps in the car and they both take off. And what had happened was, is this was an ex-boyfriend who had often bragged that he could get her back any time that he wanted. And this was the time that he chose right after this. She was married. And she jumped in the car and took off. Now, obviously, the guy annulled the wedding, and, and it was all, you know, he took care of that. But this is it's actually a picture of what happens to us. When we become joined with Christ, we become one with him. We are his bride. And we... And we get wrapped up in the world and get wrapped back up into this other stuff. We've been called. We've been set apart to be holy. And we don't want to be the bride that jumps in the car of the ex-boyfriend and takes off. We're called to be saints. We're called to live. And that's what this whole letter is about, talking to these people like, hey, this is not who you are. You don't belong to the world anymore. You're not engaged or, 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 or married to the world anymore. You're married to Jesus Christ. Make him your focus. To be made holy means to be cleansed of sin and separated from the world and belonging to God. And this can only happen through Jesus Christ because only his death on the cross could accomplish this. These people were acting unsanctified because they forgot what had happened to them in Jesus. If you think about this church, because it was such a diverse city, it was such a... It had to have contained a, a very diverse group of people as well. So, what was that name again? Sosthenes. He was a Jewish guy, and he was part of this church. We know this place is full of, of, of Greek folks. It's a, it's a pagan city. I mean, this, it's full of a diverse background. Some people were rich. Some people were poor. And then all together, coming together as Jesus Christ, under one banner, under Jesus Christ. That's also why Paul's going to deal with all these cliques and these, these, these factions that are going on, all this stuff that's going on. It's like, look, you guys are one under Christ. Quit acting like you're still separate. Paul is going to go ahead and he's going to take great pains to express this need for unity among the believers because of that. And then he goes on, he ends this one with grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Did you know that you could have peace? Anybody that, that doesn't have peace right now, did you, did you know that you can have peace? It's yours in Jesus Christ. You can have it in spite of your circumstances. Not, you don't have to, to have a peaceful life to have peace. You can receive peace from, matter of fact, when you get born again, that's already yours. 
one of those, one of my uh, favorite bumper stickers that I ever see. You guys ever seen the one that's no Jesus, no peace, you know, K-N-O-W, no Jesus, no peace. And then it says no Jesus, no peace, so it's N-O. One of my favorite bumper stickers. Because as long as you know Jesus, you can have peace. And it's guaranteed through him. And as a little aside note here, you may never have noticed this before, but he says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul is actually, by, by pairing those two together, he's actually equivocated them. He's, Paul is already, at this point, he's, he's, he's advocating for the deity of Jesus Christ. Even in just something as simple as how he's writing his letters. In 1 Corinthians 1.4, he says, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. You know, this is a letter primarily of correction. But he begins by giving thanks to God for these people. I mean, he's getting ready to get into the meat of things, but he says, you know, first off, I want you guys to understand that even though we have to deal with some stuff, that I love you guys, and I'm so thankful for you guys. I'm so thankful that God has worked in your life. I'm so thankful for who you are. He begins with encouragement, which is kind of strange as well because, like we've already discussed, this place is a mess. You would think that we need to dig in right away, get started taking care of things. I once had Dr. Dr. Leon, he says, uh, uh, he's one of the one of my fathers in the faith and one of the guys, he's my pastors, one of my pastor's pastors. And, and uh, he was doing a leadership training course and he was talking about correction and discipline. And he says, you know, the one thing that you really need to do is before you ever get started with, with correction is you sit down and you grab them by the hands and you look them in the eye and you tell them that you love them and that you're thankful for them. To let them know that this isn't about condemnation. This isn't about pushing them away. It's about loving them. And that's what Paul's doing. He says, you know what, I, give, I thank God for you guys, even though you're acting like fools. Even though you're doing dumb stuff, I still thank God for you. I still love you. I still care about you. And then he goes, goes on to say, he begins to, uh, to thank him in a bit about the generous gifts that, that God has given him as well, because God has blessed the Corinthian church. I mean, they, we, we, one of the things Paul has to deal with is spiritual gifts because God has blessed this, this congregation with spiritual gifts like you wouldn't believe. I mean, they weren't afraid of operating in the spiritual gifts. It's not like today where everyone's afraid that if they, they begin to pray in tongues or something, people are going to think they're crazy. And people might. It's okay. Do it anyway. But he, he thanks God for what they've done because of the gifts that he's given them. And he begins to, to, to give them thanks, give thanks because of the grace that God has given them. Grace is such an incredible and an amazing thing. You know, and you've always heard the, the simple definition, you guys heard the simple definitions of grace and mercy. Mercy is not getting something that you deserve, and grace is getting something that you don't deserve. That's the, the simple definition. And because in Jesus Christ we were given mercy because we weren't given the punishment that we deserved. But by his grace, we were giving something that we, we, we didn't deserve to have a new life. We didn't deserve to be counted forgiven. We didn't deserve to be grafted into the child or to the, to the family of God. But that's God's grace. But grace is even more than just getting something we don't deserve. Grace is actually everything that God accomplished in his son, Jesus Christ. Your forgiveness, your freedom, your healing, your wholeness, your strength, your victory. 
all that given to you, through, that's the grace of God. And Paul says, I'm so thankful that, that was made available to you. In 1 Corinthians 1, 5 through 7, he says that in every way, so this is a, it's a continuation of that, he says, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given to you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him and all speech and all this, he's still giving God thanks for these things, that in every way you were enriched in him and all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you so that you are not lacking in any spiritual gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. So now Paul's beginning to deal with the spiritual gifts. That's one of the things that Paul has to deal with in his letters to the Corinthians is they're, they're, they're getting out of hand with the spiritual gifts. But he says, I, I thank God that you are enriching him in all speech and all knowledge. And he's talking about the spiritual gifts here, like uh, uh, gifts of tongues and prophecy and discernment and, and, and interpretation of tongues. That's what he's doing. I'm saying, I thank God you guys were given these gifts. And they practice these gifts regularly, so much so that it became a problem. And Paul has to, direct, to, to address it because it almost becomes a point of pride for them. You know, I can imagine it, that they're, oh, you speak in tongues? I do too. And I speak in, I have the gift of prophecy. <laughs> it become, I imagine it was just this pride point. It was that because this is, if you read some of the, 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 uh, uh, commentaries and stuff on this stuff, and you read the history of this city, this kind of stuff was, was, was considered high. If you were you know, super spiritual, if you were gifted in speech, if you could talk, if you could do all these things, then they raised your elevation in the eyes of society around you. So these people were like, this is great. I'm killing two birds with one stone. I'm, I'm good with God. I'm good with the rest. And that's, you know, we get into that kind of mess as well. We try to please two masters instead of just honoring God, and, and things get out of hand. Because the truth is, is these gifts weren't given to be abused by the church. They were, they were given to edify and glorify and lift up the members of the church. However, Paul says, I'm thankful that you have this stuff. That God would bless them. I'm, I'm glad that God is working through you guys like this. And he goes on to say that, that even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, he just goes on to say that, that this, this, you guys operating in the gifts is actually evidence that you've received the testimony of Christ, that you've received the gospel that I preached to you. There was evidence. There was a changed life. Paul says, I know that you were touched by God. I know that you got saved because there was evidence in your life. And one of these being the, the gifts of the Spirit that they were operating in was evidence that God, that Jesus had taken hold in their lives. And then he goes on to say that you are not lacking in any spiritual gift. You know, the truth is, this isn't just true for the, the Corinthian church. This is true for all of us. We're not lacking in any gift. God has given all gifts to us freely. But they had every spiritual gift. They had everything necessary to live the Christian life, to witness for Christ and to stand against the paganism and the immorality and the stuff. that They, were, they, had, they had it all. They weren't lacking in anything. The truth is, is there was no reason for them to be slipping back into the old lives that they had. There was no reason for them. And we look at this, we read this, and we're like, man, that's true. There's no, there's no reason. I can't believe they did that. It's crazy Corinthians. Because we look through it through rose-colored glasses, and we, we forget that, wait a minute, I do some of the same dumb stuff. 
So that's what's beautiful about the Bible is, is we can apply it all to our own lives. We can look at it and we can see that, that they're not any different than us. And when Paul is speaking to the Corinthian church, he's speaking to us as well. Because all Scripture is, is good for teaching and rebuking and correction. These believers lacked in nothing. And because of that, they were eagerly awaiting the return of Jesus Christ. They're like, we've had a taste. I can't wait till Jesus comes back. They were eagerly awaiting Jesus Christ. In 1 Corinthians 1 8, it says, it's still speaking of Jesus Christ, as it continues on, revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless, in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's good news. I don't know about you guys, but I read that and I'm like, this is amazing. Because it says that Jesus will sustain us to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus. You know, there is an end coming. We, we need to be very clear and understand there is an end coming. And if you're not here when Jesus comes back, you're going to die someday. If you didn't know that, I'm sorry, but it's going to happen. Someday you will die. Someday you will meet Jesus. There is an end to you at some point. And we're going to have to stand before Jesus Christ. And I want to be there knowing that I've received it. I want to know that when I stand before God, He sees Jesus and not me. Because I have His life inside of me. And at that moment, at the end, at that moment, wherever it is for us, Christians will be considered guiltless. Christians will be considered blameless. Because it says that He, we're not able to sustain us to the end. If it was up to us, we would never make it. We couldn't live, even, even if salvation was a you know, one-time wipe the slate clean, now you just got to live your life the rest of your life. We would never make it. But Jesus, in his work on the cross, is able to sustain us to the end. Guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Not only have the believers received gifts for the building of the church, and that they could stand against him, but Christ was going to keep them blameless until the end. I don't know, that is just great news to me, because I don't know about you guys, but I take a look at my life, and I step back, and I look at some of the stuff I did, and I'm so thankful that it's not about the things that I've done. Because if it was, I would never make it into heaven. And truthfully, none of you guys would either. But because of his work on the cross, we are maintained blameless. And you guys know, as we've talked about, I'm trying to, because next year we're going to have that thing again where you guys got to remember my favorite verse. And I've said it over and over again, so remember this time. Jude one twenty four. now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and present you blameless in that day. Jesus is able to keep us from stumbling. He is able to keep us to the end guiltless. If our eyes are on him, not only are we clean on the insides, but if we'll keep our eyes on him, we can live that way as well. Because he's given us that strength, that, that opportunity, that authority to live a sinless life. And because Christ had died for these believers and given them spiritual gifts and promised to return for them, Paul guaranteed these believers that they would be considered free from all blame. Romans 8.33 says, Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? 
It is God who justifies. Ephesians 1.7 says, In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace. Not according to our riches, but His riches. And this guarantee that they will be guiltless, it wasn't because of their great gifts. It wasn't because of what they were doing. It wasn't because of how they lived their lives. But it was because of what Jesus Christ had accomplished on the cross for them. And then we'll go ahead and end here this morning. In 1 Corinthians 1.9, it says, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. All that stuff we read, that we would be held blameless, that we'd be held guiltless, really anything in the Scriptures that we read, that, that, that man is not justified by works but by faith alone, that, you know, any of that stuff, it doesn't matter if God's not faithful. If God can just change his mind, if God's just going to pick and choose, if God is going to lie, it doesn't matter, but God is faithful. Numbers 23, 19 says, God is not a man that he should lie or the son of man that he should change his mind. He doesn't lie. He doesn't change it. He says, have I not said it? And I'll do it. God is faithful. And it's by him you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. He has called us into fellowship with him. And he called those Corinthian believers into fellowship with him as well. And as such, that because he is faithful, that can't be broken. It can't be torn away. It can't be stolen from you. It can't be moved. It can't be changed. It can't be... Is there any other synonyms or... What do you find? Synonyms in the thesaurus? Yeah. Any other synonyms I can think of that mean the same thing? It can't be taken away from you because he is faithful. I mean, it was it, Paul wrote, I'm convinced that neither life, death, and a whole list of other things that pretty much covered everything can take us away from his love. But the reality is, is that as a result of this grace, as a result of us being called, there should be a, phys- there should be a change in our lives. If you have received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, it's not going to leave you the same way that you were. Now, I recognize that it doesn't happen instantaneously for everybody. I would say for most people it doesn't. I know for me that it didn't. It took years. As my, my, the way I like to phrase it in my head is, is my, my body was catching up to the reality of what had been happened inside of me. And I began to really, the truthfully for me, it was when I quit trying to fix myself and began to just spend time in the Word, focus on Jesus, I began to see that His life inside of me began to live out on the outside. But there was evidence for a change. There was moving forward. There was, and, and that's what Paul's going to deal with. He's like, you know what? You've been saved. You've been sanctified. You've been called into fellowship. But you know what? There's some stuff we have to deal with because people who are saved, people who are sanctified, they don't do the things that you're doing. And that's what we're going to look at over the next few weeks as Paul addresses the Corinthian church. And we'll spend some time on how this can apply to our lives as well. Because truthfully, all the stuff that Paul deals with is the stuff that we have to deal with in our everyday lives as well. So I hope this was a good introduction before we get started. And next week we'll uh, continue to dig right in. And uh, who knows how long this will take. Let's go ahead and stand to our feet.